There are sermon notes in the bulletin if you'll pull those out if you are visiting with us. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. This is our second time in this chapter. Um, Brian's going to have the screen put up in here in a second. We're going to talk as we go through verses 12 through 16. Last week we got just through verses 10 and 11. And as I said, as we go through this entire chapter, we're dealing with principles regarding dating, marriage, and sex, keeping them in the right order. And as we come to this section, we come to one that is very sensitive, one that has to pull in some other theology as we deal with the concept of divorce, divorce of ending a marriage. And so we're dealing with marriage, divorce, and then we're talking about remarriage. And as we go through this, we've said that to have a really good marriage, there has to be three. Uh, Not necessarily even pulling in yet that passage in Ecclesiastes, but the, the idea here is that there's three, the three chords, you know, three and a chord or whatever. That it's just the idea that for you to have a solid marriage, God has to be there. And this is why you, if you're a believer, why in the world would you want to marry an unbeliever? Because that person isn't going to recognize God's authority in their life. And so it's very obvious, as we've talked about, that divorce is painful. And um, what we want to understand as we go through this is there's a couple principles that I wanted to talk about as underlying all that we're dealing with. We went through four important passages last week, and I would highly encourage you, if you weren't here, go back, listen to the podcast. Because what we're doing in this section, if you have your sermon notes in front of you, in verses 10 to 12, I mean 10 to 16, the Apostle Paul is giving instructions for marriage, divorce, and remarriage to two groups of people. Believers that are married to other believers, and then believers that are married to unbelievers. Today we're going to focus on believers married to unbelievers. Last week we went into great detail of what how marriage and is to be handled with divorce with believers that are married to other professing believers. And so I went through some principles, but what I wanted to do today was just bring up three things, three principles that I believe are very important to have as we go into this one that's going to talk a little bit more about divorce. And number one, I want you to remember, God highly values marriage, for I hate divorce, we took out of the passage out of Malachi. And what I want you to recognize is that when you look at this concept, this truth that God hates divorce, and perhaps you're in a marriage and you're thinking to yourself, how did I end up with this person? I really didn't recognize how difficult life with this person would be. Why would God be so unloving to keep me in this loveless marriage, this whacked out marriage and 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 the the problems that i have on a daily basis and i've shared with you and i keep reiterating this and you hope that single people would understand this that the number one decision you make in life is whether you're going to become a christian or not the second most important decision you make is who you marry because it is putting yourself in the most perilous decision the person that you marry impacts the entire direction of your life And so if God highly values marriage and he hates divorce, then why, why, why doesn't he let me out? Well, yeah, there are some reasons and we've studied there are some ways you can get out. But what I want you to recognize is that ultimately, as I've said over and over and over, 
a quality of a good marriage is not that you're problem-free because anybody that gets married knows that days after you're married, you realize that, wow, this person isn't perfect. And some people I've had now into my 50s, there have been people that have learned on their wedding night that the person that they were dating has been lying to them the entire time. The, I can't say who, but I know uh, a strong believer, and, and he warned his daughter, please don't marry this person. And they got married, and on their wedding night, he ended up telling his daughter, ended up saying all these things that he, he kept lies from her, and all of a sudden now her life was absolutely ruined. And just, you don't know what you're getting. But then some people, they, you know, they just get married, and there, there's going to be little nuances that come about. Like a husband who always steals his wife's chocolate chip cookies. My wife's not here. And you've got to realize, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to, you know, everyone's going to deal with something. This is what God wants. By keeping us in marriage, what God wants is us to work on things that we wouldn't work on before. Because, again, if I've got a friend, and that friend is a, a, is a big pain, and I don't like that person, I just walk away from them. I don't call them anymore. We don't do anything. But if you're married, all of a sudden, you've got to work through forgiveness. You've got to work through some things like, wow. I really wouldn't have dealt with that. And most married people are saying, yep, you're right, Mike. I know that. They're right. God wants you to work through forgiveness. You, you don't have to forgive the friend that did something. And no one really knows that you didn't get, go through, work through forgiveness. You don't forgive your spouse. And the Bible makes it very clear. You're going to hurt yourself. Husbands, love your wives. Because if you don't, you're hurting your own body. And that's the truism. Man, if I don't love Becky, my wife, then it hurts me. And so love includes forgiveness. So God highly values marriage, and he wants us to stay together to work through issues that we wouldn't work through otherwise. And then second, though, we must ultimately remember glorifying God is the top priority. This is what we must recognize as we talk about marriage and divorce issues. This passage... um, that we're studying here um we have studied in not chapter seven but chapter six remember as verse 20 comes to the end for you've been bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body you become a christian and you come into a situation and you realize i'm in a very difficult marriage god isn't so always worried about how pleasant your life is how smooth your life is he wants you to be someone that maybe just be, is a testimony to the world. How does that Christian wife love that man? How does that Christian man love that woman? Well, I'm glorifying God. God wants me to do the right thing. Now, obviously God would want love to be in every marriage. But ultimately we have to remember that God wants us to glorify him. And what I want you to know, I was listening to, it was, it's wild with these podcasts that we have. I've gone back and I've been listening to the pastor that, in essence, I was under when I got saved. Pastor Jim Custer, Grace, Grace Brethren Grad, um, Grace um, Church in Columbus, Ohio. And he was giving this sermon on end times. And, and 
our reward in heaven. And I just wanted to share his illustration. He said, you know, so many of us, and we can take this into our marriages, we just focus on this dot, this side of eternity, this short time that we have here, when the reality of it is, is we're not going to exist for a dot. We're going to exist for a line, a long time in eternity. And what you have to realize is in your life, how you live your life now in the dot does impact your line, the line for eternity. So the rewards you get, even in how you treat your spouse, will be based upon how godly you are in your marriage. And you say, well, I've got this ungodly spouse. And I feel for you. I really do. Some people do get very ungodly spouses. Not just spouses that steal chocolate chip cookies. But they're mean. They're not loving. They're not encouraging. And if that's the way you are as a spouse, I warn you, don't be like that. Because you're going to be judged. You think you're getting away with your mean comments to your spouse? God's going to get you. Now, you who the, are the believer, and you, return, you are not to return evil for evil. You're not to be someone who turns a cold shoulder. You're to glorify God. So ultimately, God is glorify, ultimately glorifying God is the top priority in marriage and life. And so when you get married, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, Forrest Gump may say, life's like a box of chocolate. You don't know what you get. Well, if you would have turned the box over, he might have found out some of the chocolates that were in there. But that's a different. But the idea is, you got whatever you get, you've got to honor God. But we recognize this third principle. Divorce will occur because of sin, and it's painful. And for us to realize as Christians that there are valid reasons for divorce, God does allow divorce. And, and so... I again recommend, if you would like more detail on some of the exegetical details, there's a book by Guy, G-U-Y, Duty, D-U-T-Y, Baptist pastor from, I think, 19, early 1900s. He wrote a book called Divorce and Remarriage. It's, I believe, the best book on this. It, it elaborates more of what I'm going to be teaching today. So we recognize divorce does occur. And last week, if you look at your sermon notes, you see Christians married to, to, non, to Christians, you're not to initiate divorce, but there are divorce options. There's the state divorce and there's the biblical divorce. Okay, And we said that these occur because God said that there was a hardness of heart. Why did God allow divorce? Because he knew there was sin in the world. And there were some people that are really, really evil. And, and because of those situations, sometimes divorce is allowed. And so we said there are two forms. There's a state divorce and there is the biblical divorce. And with the state divorce, the state divorce, it's granted by the government because you're married by the government. God recognizes that somehow your culture recognizes a marriage. Your culture is going to recognize a divorce. In a state divorce, government allows remarriage. All right, but here's the kicker. You can get a state divorce, but God may or may not allow remarriage as God has higher laws. And you've got to be under what is called a biblical divorce if you want this, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so a biblical divorce is recognized by the government. It it meets the scripture's requirements for remarriage. And we went into a lot of details for believers married to believers last week. This week, we're going to come now, and let's focus on the rest. 
Verse 12, it says, but to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who is an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. And so here we're going to deal with Christians married to unbelievers. Because you see when it says, but to the rest? Well, what do you mean to the rest? To the other situation. Because up in verse 10, we said to the married. And the implication is, is believer to believer in verse 10. But now to the rest, to the other situations. And he's giving instruction. And it's kind of an interesting one where he says, I say not the Lord. Well, wait a second. Is Paul just making this up? This has got to be the general consensus of this, of how we have to understand this. Paul is not saying that he's speaking just, you know, now we come to verse 11 or verse 12 and this is Paul's commandment. He's saying that I believe Jesus never spoke on this. Because remember we went back to Matthew 19 and we looked at Jesus giving a long exhortation on divorce. All right, So Jesus did speak on divorce. We didn't speak about believers married specifically to unmarried. So that's why I believe he's saying the rest I say not the Lord. He's, what he's basically saying I'm not quoting the Lord but we know Paul is spirit led. So if anybody wants to argue a different position, you can come to me and talk to me afterwards. But that's how I think that is. So verse 12, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother, a brother is a euphemism for a believer, has a wife, and it makes it explicit. She's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him. He must not divorce her. How much clearer is that? You're, you're, a, you're a man, you're, married, you're a believer, you're married to an unbeliever. How did that occur? It, 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 I don't know. It could be because you, you sinned, you're a believer, and all of a sudden you decide, I don't care, like Samson, I, don't, I just want that woman. And you marry an unbeliever, then you're in that situation. Or it could be that you were a man and your wife and you guys were unbelievers, and all of a sudden you got saved, and now you're saved and she's not saved. And you think, wait a second, she doesn't want to live by the rules of Christianity? Then just let her go. God says, no, I don't want you to divorce her. And so, verse 13, it says, and a woman who was an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. And I like the fact, okay, so what we're getting here is do, fill in the blank, do not initiate a divorce. And God is saying this for the man as well as for the woman. And I think that when you have a repeat like this, why would God do that? Because he wants to make it clear. The rules for the men are the same for the women. And just so that we don't think that, that a man has one set of rules and a woman has another set of rules so i thought you know kind of interesting you know there's no third group here with you know with the use of the word woman i don't know if you guys all saw this week that was kind of crazy there's a college in massachusetts for those who are looking for colleges um there's a college in massachusetts it's a woman's college but they don't want to be called as a woman's college anymore because that's too discriminatory (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want to make people feel bad being called women. Well, that's just a free note, side note. just drives me crazy. But uh, there are men, there are women, and men and women who are believers. And God is just making make it really clear. And so what do you mean I can't initiate a divorce? Well, this is the general rule. There are situations, and he doesn't go into the... Pornia, the infidelity of Matthew 19. If you had a spouse, I think it's by implication, the idea that they were having multiple affairs. I believe you could, okay? Because they've, in essence, done that. But, you know, the general 
rule of things where, you know, wow, I got married. And now I really didn't realize what my spouse was going to be like. I really didn't realize, you know, he really was going to be, you know, this type of individual. Or she was going to really be this type of individual. And, and so God says, I want you to be someone that works through your problems. Even if you're dealing with an unbeliever. But now as we go into it, the believing spouse has what he wants us to see is the part and parcel of this is because the believing spouse has a sanctifying influence. Look at this. This is kind of interesting. You say, why would God want me to stay in this type of situation? I'm a believer. I want to honor God. I want to give my life to him. I want to serve him. And this person doesn't want to do this. And maybe they're just going to ruin my life and they're going to contaminate me with all kinds of sin. So verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. So I like it. The fact that God gives both angles. And so the key word with this is sanctified. What does that mean? Because then he comes back and he says, for the children, for the children, otherwise your children are unclean. But now they are holy. Does this mean that the, the, the unbelieving spouse is automatically saved and the children are automatically saved? And the thought is no. What this is is the idea here is that what you have is that the husband, uh, uh, the believing husband, will have an impact that impacts his wife in a positive way. Doesn't necessarily mean she'll get saved. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. We've known people that have been believers, they've been married to unbelievers, and the unbelieving spouse died as, as, as an unbeliever. So the idea of sanctification is something that's set apart or influenced by God, and that person will be influenced. So let's say I'm a believing man and I've got an unbelieving wife, and now, because of my influence, maybe I'll give her some scripture and that might encourage her or that might give her some wisdom. I'll, I'll not say, let's go to a drinking party anymore because I'm not initiating that. I, I won't do that. I won't, I won't say, hey, as a spouse, you know, let's watch some racy type of movie or something like that. And, and I won't bring her into that. And so all of a sudden, her mind isn't filled with improper shows, improper things. I won't swear. I won't steal. And, and then she'll recognize perhaps how important it is not to steal, not to swear. And, you know, so you get that. But as you can see, if you've got, if you've got two people coming from different perspectives, obviously it's going to rub each other the wrong way. I mean, I know someone that was in a relationship with a person and believe it or not the girl wanted to have a sailor's mouth and and the boy didn't and so you know you got uh, after a while the girl's getting upset because she was wants to swear and be really raunchy and so you, every once in a while i'd say like he'd say why, why would you want to say something like that why would you want to say something like that and it becomes a point of contention and you can see that would just you know, drive one another nuts. But the reality of it is, is over time, that person is at least going to, the unbelieving spouse is going to begin to realize that type of language isn't always going to be acceptable. Whereas before, if they had an unbelieving, if they were married to an unbeliever, it wouldn't matter. 
So I believe that's the context of verse 14. So the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. There is no guarantee that, that this sanctification is saying the unbelieving spouse is going to get saved. Because that's why when we get down to verses 15 and 16 with the divorce with the person leaving, it's perfectly allowable. And so the same thing, I believe, with the children. Because you might have a believing spouse and they may, they'll take the children to church. And so the kids are going to have some aspect of being wholly set apart, not that the kids are automatically saints. So that's to me how I have to look at that verse by bringing it into my theology and not just saying, oh, that means they're guaranteed to be saved. So here what you see is, okay, don't initiate divorce. This is the big picture because God wants you to understand you're not in a bad situation. You're not in an unclean situation. You see that line there, where is it, at the end of verse, yeah, verse 14. The clean and unclean, it's, you have unclean. It, that's imagery from the Old Testament, where God would say something was, was not good. Um, certain things that God would declare, like if you touched a leper, they, uh, you know, somehow you'd be un, declared unclean so that you couldn't, you have to wash and, and not be part of the community for a week. And, and, and you would, there were certain things that if you were declared unclean, you had to go through a cleansing process so that you would not be part of the community. So what God is saying is that your children can be part of the community as a, as a believer, even though you have an unbelieving spouse. You can bring them to Sunday school. You can bring them to church activities because now they are clean in that sense. That's the idea of the holiness. And so that's how I think the genius of God of doing this, because you can imagine that you could have people thinking, now that I've become a believer, you had, let's say you had two unbelieving spouses, one gets saved, and all of a sudden he realizes, first and foremost, wait a second, now I'm in a totally different world. i got to get away from this person. Well, God doesn't want did not want mass divorce. And then he didn't want people saying, look, I've got this spouse and we've got these children and I don't want anything to do with them. No, on the contrary, as a believer, you must serve your family all the more. I believe and, and ultimately love them and try to win them to Christ. Try to be there for them. And to me, as we've said before, that a person who's genuinely saved has that passion to get their people get the people they they love saved i mean if you don't care for their heart then how dare you think you're really saved because the person who's who's truly born again wants to get his family saved and so but you can imagine how it would have gone if we didn't have these two verses if god didn't say listen it's okay stay married don't run out on these people but at the same time all of a sudden this is why we need verses 15 and 16, because what happens is, is we can get in a situation where now a person becomes a believer and things just get topsy-turvy because it says, look, as we go here, yet a, the biblical divorce is allowed if the unbelieving spouse initiates one. Look, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? So here, you know, what, what this is, is getting at is the idea of you're no longer under bondage. And the bondage is, is the restriction of staying married with this person with the idea of not being able to get remarried. 
And if you're not under bondage, then you can go ahead and get remarried. If the unbelieving spouse leaves, then go ahead and get remarried. Look at verse 39, just so that people understand. The idea of bound has the idea of being committed to someone so that you can't get remarried. So verse 39, we're going to pick up this in another context, but verse 39 is, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. So this is the general concept. If you are in a marriage situation, the general situation for believers is we're bound. We're not to be able to say, I'm just going to walk out and get a divorce. And, and that, that's why we said last week, if you weren't here with us, we said for believer married to believer that if somebody says, look, you don't know what's going on in my marriage. I've got a situation where this is a very horrible spouse and I've got to leave. I've got to protect myself, blah, blah, blah. I believe God says, okay, if you leave, then fine. If you're a professing believer and this other person's a professing believer and we've got, come to this he said, she said, and we're, you're not going to work things out, then fine, but you're not playing games with marriage here. And I want you to remember, if this happens, you should not remarry. Look at verse 11. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried. That was that situation. But now when you look at verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. There's our key word, bound. But if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Again, only in the Lord. Because that's the key passage, I think, even more than 2 Corinthians 6, that believers are to be married to other believers. So the idea of bound, being confined, being constricted, God says it's open, you're allowed to be remarried. So you go to verse 15, and it says, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave, the brother or the sister. So it's the believing husband or the believing wife. So there isn't just rules for men, and they're not that maybe men can only have it one way, and then poor women can't have it there. Again, God put this in there so we understood. Women can get remarried too. Men can get remarried too. If the husband or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Because the idea here of peace, ultimately, is what God wants. God does want peace in our lives. God does want us to be people that, that have tranquility in our lives. He does. And that's why I put that first principle up there before. God hates divorce. He wants marriage to work. And so, to the extent that he wants it to work, it'll be that way. But you can see, if you're, if you're a believer... And, you know, all of a sudden, let's say you're an unbeliever and you get saved and now you're in this marriage situation, you can see how there could be no peace. My goodness, you know, prior to us getting married, you know, we were people who partied all the time. We were people who just did drinking. We did drugs. We gambled. We did all kinds of immoral things. And now that I'm saved, I won't go to those things. I won't do those things. That could be a major source of, of irritation. Because the unbeliever lives to party. The unbeliever lives to do the wild things they do. And they don't also want to feel guilty about the things that they're doing. They, they see you reading your Bible. They see you going off to church. They see you not lying. <laughs> and they see you not acting sexually immoral. And they just get ticked. And you better believe that it would be easy for them just to say, I want out. I'm not going to live by these rules. I don't want to live by these rules. And so if they want to leave, you're not to sit there crying and say, you know, I, 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 you know, stop. 
I mean, there's a sense where you can talk to them, you can work it out. I'm sure you love someone, but eventually, if they really want to leave, God is saying, let them leave. And that begins you to, that gives you a biblical divorce. Now, look at verse 16. For how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? He comes in at it, it's the same concept, both ways. And what you're dealing with here, okay, is so now after we've dealt with the fact that there's no bondage means remarriage is allowed, that's a biblical divorce, what we deal with now is no one knows the impact of witnessing to a spouse, or anyone for that matter. And that's, this to me is like mind-boggling, because, you know, for the person that's an unbeliever, or a believer, and they want to do missionary dating, you guys have heard that expression before, I'm a, I'm a believer, but I'm going to marry, I'm going to date someone and they're an unbeliever, and I hope that they come to faith. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, remember, what did Pastor Mike say? Number one decision is whether you get saved or not. Number two decision is who do you marry? You are putting yourself so much at risk. It is one of the most close to just foolish decisions you can make. You decide, I'm going to marry somebody, and I'm going to hope they become a believer. Oh, my goodness. God says, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know how that person's going to end up. And so think about how significant a statement that is. Because some people come to me and say, well, I don't know if I'm elect or not. We don't know who's elect. Don't you dare say that. We don't know if you're elect. We don't know who's elect. We know who believes and who doesn't. And your job today is to believe. But a person that gets married and they're married to an unbeliever, if this is so clear that you don't know what's going to happen, that God says it's fine enough that they want to leave, let them leave, and then you can have remarriage. I mean, wow, that blows me away. Because it shows me that, that God is saying, don't you start assuming, like, I know that God's led me to this person so that we would be together and that they're going to get saved. You don't know that. You don't know that. And, and a great little book on, by a man named Gary Gilley, Is That You, Lord?, we throw out, God has led me, God has said this to me, God is that. God's given us scripture, and that's how you know God's leading. And so, please, how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? You don't know is the answer. You don't know that at all. So, hence, if they want to leave, let them leave. Don't contest the divorce. That's their choice. You might love them. You might care for them. You might know it's going to bring about great devastation to your children. Absolutely. Divorce is not good. It isn't a good situation, but God is saying, let them leave. In verse, second half of verse 16, or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? You don't know, but you're, so you're to let them go. So here you look at it. A biblical divorce is allowed if the unbelieving spouse initiates one. But again, the same thing. Like I said, with the Matthew 19, if a unbelieving spouse starts committing all kinds of pornea, sexual immorality, that means, in essence, they have initiated, they've, they've started divorce because they're acting improper and God is allowing it. So, as you can see, um, maybe almost like a flow chart sometimes you feel like, okay, um, this is what, how am I, how am I dealing with this? What's it, where am I at in the situation? Um, you know, believer married to believer but then all of a sudden my spouse acts like an unbeliever we're gonna have to work that one out and we've dealt with that 
You know, how do we know whether someone's saved or not? So if I'm a believer married to a person, if they continue to profess to be a believer, then that's how we've got to take them. Most of the time, people are upfront, I think, and honest. I'm not a believer, okay? So that would put you, if you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, that would put you into this category. What I want to finally say is strive for this. You don't have to marry the one you love, but you have to love the one you marry. I said this a couple weeks ago. I can't drive this home enough. Every one of us are in situations where, you know, all of a sudden you realize, wow, this isn't what I signed up for in marriage. This is what I, was, what I, what I wasn't thinking I was going to get. Maybe I really didn't love the person. I've heard that over and over. I, I mean, and it's crazy because the reality of it is every married situation you can justify that you probably married the wrong person, <laughs> okay? I really believe that. I've dealt with it enough. I've seen it. People who got married young could say, I got married too young. People who got married in their 20s say, I wish I, I, I waited too long. I, I was too set in my ways. People, same thing in their 30s. People in their 40s. People in their 50s. There's always a reason why you could justify saying, oh my goodness, I think I married the wrong person. But the reality of it is, is what God brings together, don't tear asunder. God ultimately wants us to work through and learn to love. He wants us to stay in our marriages and he wants us to work it out. All these reasons, these exceptions for divorce are supposed to be the exceptions, aren't supposed to be the rule. And we who are Christians, the thing that was in both categories is that we are people who are not initiating it. We're not starting it. I wrote this to finalize it here. I said, God wants marriages to work but sadly, we live in a place where hearts are hardened and they want their sin. There are people who just want their sin. So relationships tell us where a person is spiritually. Because if a person has a choice, either they get what they want or they're honoring God. Isn't that true? Honor God and he will bless your marriage. I said it before, if we ask to love our spouses, God will hear that prayer. I, I've seen it over and over and over and it all starts with belief, belief in Jesus Christ. You see, whether it's a marriage you struggle with or whether it's just life, you need Jesus to have any peace. And I would pray that you would all believe and just understand that Jesus died on that cross, paid the penalty for your sins. And as we go through this entire week that people sometimes call Holy Week, the idea is that we remember Jesus came to die to pay the penalty for sins. And we're to turn to him and believe that he was God who came in the flesh. And when you follow his ways, love becomes part of your life. And even married to an unbeliever, love could be pretty predominant. And you could have a pretty special relationship. I've seen believers who've done that. But finally, just keep remembering, you have to love the one you marry. You have to. And I saw this on Twitter this week, and I want to end with this. It was from a Twitter who had Godly Dating 101, and they said this. Marriage is meant to be a blessing, but remember, it's not your purpose on earth. Our purpose is to glorify God. Let us remember that we need to glorify God no matter what situation we're in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are people that while we are on earth, while we have this time, you've given us this situation called marriage. And God, 
you've brought two people in the flesh saved by and large in this church together as we look at our relationships and father i am so thankful for the spouse you gave me and i want everyone to be thankful i want every marriage in our church to flourish but we need to be honest honest with our children honest so that they understand that we can say we have great marriages and i wouldn't want to be married to anyone else but at the same time there's a lot of work there's a lot of sacrifice there's a lot of forgiveness and if our children just see the joy and the wonderment maybe they don't they all freak out when the first time they've got a problem thinking why can't i be perfect like my parents now we know lord that children have eyes as carl said earlier and they see us and they realize parents aren't perfect but we thank you god we thank you lord that through our imperfections we can all be testimonies of grace and show the love and mercy that you've given us as we give it to others i thank you for the way my spouse loves me and is gracious towards me and forgives me and i pray father that all the spouses in our church are strong in their marriage and then especially now for those that are married to unbelievers because we have that god and we know that it is a very hard situation how we pray for our unbel- our spouses that are married to unbelievers that they need strength they need wisdom they need us to pray for them on a regular basis to think about them as the every day because marriage brings pain every day if you're married to the wrong person how they need that strength and perhaps god someone through this discussion is realizing the reason they're in such a lousy marriage is because not because of their spouse but because of the finger pointing back at them if it's a believer i pray god that they would repent and that love would be manifest in their life and the spirit of god would take over that they'd be convicted of sin righteousness and judgment and love patience um, not being jealous not bragging not being arrogant not seeking their own would take over and perhaps god there's an unbeliever here that today just has come to the realization that they are in a lousy marriage because they're such a sinner and that they need you in their life oh god how i pray that they would come right now and just believe they would believe that jesus is god they would ask you to forgive them that they would trust that you were the god man who died if that's where you're at do that now believe upon the lord jesus christ turn from your sins and be saved and then god for singles in our church we know that talking about marriage can be hard but i would hope that some of them would be encouraged and say boy i need that reminder that i've got such a blessing to be able to stay single and be able to serve god and not have the problems that marriage brings but in the meantime lord if they desire to be married how we just pray that you'll bring the right person in for them at the right time that will bring bring be a place a person of peace and blessing rather than a person of great problems we love you lord we thank you that you came some two thousand years ago and we're looking forward to your return again may we all remember our purpose on life is to glorify you and to stand before you one day and to hear the words well done good and faithful servant no matter what situations we're in i pray that that's the way we're living In Jesus' name, amen.